Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Simone Riscala, and you are listening to the Endow Podcast, a conversation not just about the feminine genius in general, but about cultivating your particular feminine genius through the Catholic intellectual tradition and intentional community. Well, hello, Endow ladies. Simone here, Director of Program Growth, and I am so happy to be here with Dr. Bob Schutz, Dr. Bob Schutz, welcome to the Endow Podcast. Thank you, Simone. Good to be on. I've seen some of the other ones you've done. It's been good work. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. And Bob, I've gotten to know you a bit this last year through a uh, priest healing collaboration we've been conspiring with together with a few of our friends. So that's that's also been very fun. Yeah, it was it's been a good group and uh, a lot of uh, love for the priesthood, and it's been good to get to know you on that. Yes, and um, you know, part of that, the uh, the joy of me being a part of that collaboration is that, as endowed women, um, are we kind of follow Saint Therese's uh, spirituality of interceding and praying for priests. So that's uh, something that we're very committed to, and so committed that every. In Dao study guide comes with a priest prayer card so that we can oh that's great that neat follow yeah. yeah. spirit well you know I have to stay focused in this conversation but of course I want to talk to you about many many things but uh, we're going to talk about healing the feminine heart of which of course you have so much experience so much fruitfulness coming from your life your personal vocation your your ministry and I shared with you earlier that. I had listened to your book, Be Healed, uh, which is a fantastic book and something we'll link in the show notes, of course. But now I'm really taking it seriously and journaling it and and going deeper into it. And that's kind of in the nature of healing. You know, you can only handle so much at a time. And and before I could only handle listening to it, just dipping my toes. And now I'm really invested, got the hard copy and, and journaling it. It's all about building trust, right? For the healing. Oh, very, very true. Very, very true. So I guess we can start off, um, you know, wanted to pick your brain about, you know, and that was all about cultivating the feminine genius, that unique feminine spirit that only women have. And so, of course, you know, each woman's unique and unrepeatable feminine spirit has wounds that are that are particular to women. Um what would you say in your experience and your observation is are the wounds that are unique unique to women and unique to the feminine heart well let me let me start with what i believe are the characteristics that are u- unique to the feminine heart and then talk about wounding in relation to those and a lot of this is uh my daughter Carrie and other women in our ministry have developed an undone uh yes conference which is about healing the feminine heart and so I'd recommend all your listeners to that. But yep, it's called it's, Undone, right? Undone. Yeah, Undone. Yeah, and there's also a book Undone with a lot of uh, women's testimonies. Mm-hmm. But it's it talk about looking at Eve and then looking at Mary as the model of the feminine heart. Right, mm-hmm. Eve before sin, and Mary gives us a picture of that. Talk about uh, receptivity. May it be done according to your word. Yeah. Um, beauty, which is everybody who's seen Mary says she just radiates beauty. And relationship, you know, that 
that the nature of the feminine heart and beauty and, and receptivity is very relational. Not that we aren't all relational, but but in a particular way, a woman carries that, that John Paul II calls her the carrier of communion. Mm. You know, the, the, the one who's the master of communion. Yeah. And so when I think about those characteristics, it gives me a blueprint for understanding the wounds of a woman. Right. Right. The the wounds of receptivity, what happens when a woman's heart isn't safe anymore. Yeah. Because of some trauma, she becomes less receptive. Yes. And as she becomes less receptive, then the capacity for communion is broken. Mm-hmm. And the beauty is diminished mm. because the beauty is manifested in receptivity. And yeah. I saw this all the time as a therapist, and I see it today as as a woman's heart heals, as she feels safe enough to heal, and healing comes from love. As she's safe enough to heal, her heart opens, and you just see this radiance of beauty that just manifests, that, that it's the natural beauty of a woman but it's also the soul beauty of a woman. And I think that's what makes Mary so beautiful, is that she's just so full of grace mm. that, the, that the beauty of her spirit radiates through the beauty of her person, her physical presence, her body. And I, I think that's a, a, an ex, that, that then heals the world, right? The, the feminine heart then heals the rest of the world as she opens and it is restored in community. We also talk about the four identities of a woman, mm. uh, and particularly in Undone, the daughter, sister, bride, and mother, and that every woman has those. And so if you think about w- women can be wounded in any of those four areas. Yeah. Can be wounded as a daughter, can be wounded as a sister, and not just with siblings, but peers. Yeah. Can be wounded in her identity as bride, even by not being chosen, yes, or in broken relationships, dating, sexuality, all those areas, or in marriage, being married. And then, you know, even for a consecrated woman, her marriage to Christ, there can be wounding in that area. And then mothers, every every woman has the gift of motherhood and that gift of nurturing and giving, and that can be wounded also, you know, by natural children and by just anyone in the world who can wound that part of a woman's heart. It's interesting thinking about everything you're saying in light of uh, John Paul II's uh, letter to women in 1995, when, again, his motivation, I think, for writing that was, of course, what was happening in the public square with international abortion relates directly to motherhood. But then confronting that problem of the rejection of motherhood really being a problem of what you were saying in terms of identity and dignity as a daughter. You can't you yeah. have to first receive daughterhood and be rooted in your dignity and identity before you can enjoy yes. and you want to say yes, be receptive to the fruitfulness of spiritual or biological motherhood. And, and that was kind of what was going through my mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and he was part of the inspiration for all this, obviously. We're St. John Paul II Healing Center, so we share that love for St. John Paul II. Um, But the other two identities also, it's not just that the woman skips from daughter to mother, but 
her her growing as a sister mm-hmm. and her growing as a bride allows her to be the fullest expression of motherhood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What and what um in terms of the sisterhood aspect, because it seems easier to, for me to understand that the daughterhood, the identity, and then from that 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 receptivity to then being able to give in in motherhood. How does sister what what what, what is different about sisterhood? Well, if you think about daughter is in relation to both God the Father and Mary as mother, but also human parents. And so yeah. that receptivity there. But thinking about naturally as we grow, we we move from our parents being the center to our peers being the center, even our siblings being kind of the center. And so many people have been hurt by siblings. So many people have been hurt by friends, by society at large. You know, we're, we're sister and brother to everybody. Yeah. Uh, and so just any peer relationship where we're hurt or any sibling relationship we're hurt closes down that sense of safety and trust we may have developed as a daughter or a son. Then it compromises our relationship with our with our sisters. Yeah. 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 And John Paul II talks or he talks about this the passage in uh, Song of Songs with my sister, my bride. Mm. And he talks about how the sister identity is really critical for the bride identity. Because if we don't see ourselves first as brother and sister, then the relationship gets distorted. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a real basic sense of dignity there. Is, so are are you implying the the willing the good of the other that can only happen in deep friendship as yes. like as a as a foundation as a precondition for. Like agape to purify eros. Yep, yep, that's it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's absolutely, and I and I think that's a great, um, especially in the context of dating. Thinking, Mm -hmm. wait, do I do I on a natural human friend level will this person's good before I can see about if there is a a romantic or because that can as as c.s lewis has pointed out can devolve into idolatry and like possessiveness and all the ugliness that comes from from often from romantic relationships like do i care about this person on a basic fundamental natural yeah it was a gift for me not that i planned it this way but to meet my wife as a friend for a year before i started dating her yeah Uh, and it wasn't a plan it was just the way that our relationship developed and I think that foundation of friendship allowed uh, growth later on. Not that we didn't have our own. Yeah, I think that's ideal. I think I think actually starting out as friends is like the ideal, pure. Yeah. Way. You know, of course, yeah. everybody's story is different. Of course, yeah. I, yeah. I, I I think it is the most ironically romantic way for that yeah. for that to happen. Um, so then the wounds associated with these like. Uh, types. Do you know? I mean, I've been impressed with what the secular world has says about feminine energy and masculine energy. Do you pay attention to any of that? I mean, you're a busy man, Bob. <laughs> so, so give me an example, and I'll let you know if I've. Well, I mean, just you see it all over social media and YouTube. Like, there's a lot of talk out there about. I mean, like a very popular secular 
dating coach is Matthew Husty, right? And and he'll talk about feminine energy and masculine energy. And I think, wow, secular world is really getting the word out that there's like, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. there's the church. We have all the philosophy and theology of, of the body and JP2 behind this, but, you know. Um, but pretty good in terms of distinctions of that um, receptivity that is so um, much the characteristic, maybe the premier characteristic of, of the feminine genius. So I was just curious if you, I, I haven't studied that, but it makes sense that it would validate what the truth is that the church yeah. teaches because it's, it's who we are. It, it, I mean, it, it really is. I'm always, I'm super impressed by it because obviously they're okay with and promoting certain lifestyle choices that as mm-hmm. Christians, we would say gone too far, but in terms of their philosophy of, femininity and masculinity they're they're not wrong so no. i was just i was just curious if you no, i'll have to look that up to look that i can send you stuff okay like, great i'm yeah. always like watching what the secular world does yeah. because um i think they're really good at diagnosing problems um but then the solutions are partial whereas we have yeah. complete full solutions but not as good marketing um <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting it right new evangelization all that so I would love to hear some stories um, that you, if you're willing to share from your personal life of kind of healing of these feminine wounds and kind of victories um, from trauma, from healing of trauma and all that. Yeah, I, we just had uh, a woman on our podcast on our series of divorce, uh, which is coming up in the in the future. But we just interviewed her yesterday, and it's a woman that I've walked with her and her husband for a number of years. and. She did such a beautiful job of describing what it was like as a daughter to go through her parents' divorce. Mm. And it was all the ways that she compensated yeah, uh, and looked for male affection because her dad wasn't there and yeah. felt responsible for her mom. And again, I'm a child of divorce too, and I could relate to a lot of it, but there was a particular way as a woman that she experienced this. Yeah, and she described that her heart was crushed, mm. and uh, again, I could relate to that. But I, the way that she expressed it in her growing up, and the way that she expressed it in her marriage early on, looking for her husband to fill that, yeah, and wasn't until she was married several years, and issues started to develop, that she felt safe enough to engage really in the healing of that, and. I just remember uh, as I walked with her, there was a older couple who also walked with her and her husband. And the the depth of love that they showed as consistent good parents that weren't going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and were able to pray with her in the depths of her heart and hold her while she cried, mm-hmm. uh, laugh with her when they celebrated something, celebrated events. And it was like restoring those places of her childhood yeah, that had been lost and the security that was necessary. And so security is so critical in the healing process. And yeah. if we don't have security, we can't enter in right. to those deeper places. And, and so to watch her, and she's one of the women on our Undone team, uh, so she gives this t- testimony as part of it, but to watch her growth and the healing of her marriage as a result of that healing and the healing of her uh, relationships with her spiritual children 
just been beautiful to watch. And so I, I look at that as a kind of a, a picture of a long-term healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person that comes to mind is Sister Miriam, who I'm sure you know. Yeah. And she teaches with us. And uh, just watching her healing from a, from the wound of adoption, yeah. uh, being given up for adoption and foster care, but also her sexual abuse. Yeah. Uh, as a young as a young woman, as a girl, as a teenager, and the way that she has engaged in that healing process and just pursued the heart of Jesus as her bridegroom, mm-hmm. uh, and the depths of her healing, and then how what a powerful source of healing she has become because of her own journey into her heart, into that receptivity and I mean, communion. Massively, I mean, it's, it's glorious. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about our priest retreats, it just it never fails. I mean, every priest retreat we do, we probably do eight a year. Uh, and <laughs> she she does more. But they're either in tears or in awe by the time she gets done speaking because she's just penetrated to the depths of their hearts. So cool. What a great, just how amazing. How do you measure? I mean, this is maybe like a not obvious, obvious question, but like, how do you know healing has happened or how, how do you measure it? And can you, I asked my voice teacher this once when I was, you know, a million years ago and voice lessons, like, you know, how do you, can you turn off the voice teacher and you, when you hear somebody sing, can you just enjoy them singing without the technical psych, you know, analyzing of their vocal ability? Can, you know, can you, are you able to do that? Or do you do you walk around, Bob, and go, oh, that one, prime finding, or that one, not ready yet, or that one, oh, restored heal. I mean, can you shut it off? And how do you know, how do you know healing has happened? Well, I haven't, I can never shut it off, but I, but <laughs> I learned as a husband and as a father that you don't approach it clinically. You just approach it as a fa- father and as a husband, as a friend. And, and yeah. so it's, it's being able to see where where there's receptivity and where this receptivity is blocked, where there's the emanation of the natural beauty that's there or where that's blocked, the the health of relationships or where that's blocked. And you know, we talk about in the ministry that healing is an ongoing experience yeah. of encountering God's love. Yeah. And whether that's through human agencies or divine directly in prayer and sacraments. And then it brings us into wholeness and communion. So that's for all of us, there's never a point where we're healed. Right. There's always just greater degrees of our wholeness and communion. Yeah. And I think that's where the where Pope Benedict's quotation, which I'm going to put right now, that healing, if understood in a, you know, in the correct yes. way. It encapsulates the entire content of redemption. I mean, yes, that's it. That's where that's where we got that definition. And I love kind of throwing that quotation around because there's still at least, and you tell me because you're in the world more than I am. You know, there's still this I don't know maybe stigma or shame when it comes to or admittance that we all are broken and need healing or this like resistance or allergy to it. And not not just from our priest friends necessarily or, or priests that we know, but but I would say in ecclesial culture, would do you would you agree? Yeah, we've done a great job of talking about sin, but not a great job of talking about the consequence of sin, which is wounds. Right. And wherever there is sin, 
there's wounds, and wherever there's wounds, whether it's our sin or the sins of others or original sin, and wherever there's wounds, there's a need for healing. Yeah. So there's not a human being alive that doesn't need healing. Yeah. And so if we deny it, we deny the opportunity for the grace of God to work through us for the good of others. And I think that happens a lot. I, you know, I was denying my need for healing even while I was a therapist for a number of years. And right. uh, you, you don't realize how much that's affecting others. You know, Sister Miriam often says, uh, suffering that's not transformed is transmitted. Oh my gosh. Scott chills. Yes, so true. And if we if we don't think we need healing, then the people around us are going to need more healing. Yeah. So you're going to send them to therapy. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And I love, I can't remember which episode this was that was it with you or Pat Lencioni? I can't remember, but he said something like your book be healed. I, you know, I did like a virtual in the air high five to nobody because I was listening alone. But <laughs> his book, Be Yield, was like more important for the church than all his books combined, which I thought was a very humble thing for him to say, but also very true. Like we can read like all the books in the world we can have all, you know, but if we are not healed or are working on our healing or at least aware, then it just it doesn't matter. Like you're good, you're gonna transmit that that brokenness uh yeah. to people yeah and i'm i saw you did a series on god and god is love the encyclical yes. and uh you know what is what is the way of communicating god to others is through love and yeah. it's as we heal we become more able to love yes and something that I like to think about a lot in terms of like how to love the other is, and we've talked about this just at our, our collab meetings, is becoming more intelligent about like running diagnostics. Is this is this a truth problem? Is this a virtue problem? Is this a sin problem? Is this a healing trauma problem? Is this a spiritual warfare problem? Is this like a mental illness problem? Like where where is it so that we can like target it? And like, you know, is this a vitamin D deficiency problem? Like what, what, yeah. what, why are things off? You know? And it's usually like, like you pointed out, it's a combination and we have to, you yeah. know, but, but I do think as we become more intelligent and more savvy as a church, we, like you said, there's been a lot of sin talk, but not a lot of healing talk. And even just seeing sin as a trauma itself that, you know, and I remember, you know, a certain period of my life, a certain period of a season of healing where I'm just like, I, there's just, I'm just never going to get over this thing, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what you want. I wasn't at the point of trust where I could tell God, I don't know what you want for me. It was more like, I don't know what you want from me. From me. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the crucifix came to mind and, and Jesus saying like, you'll forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And I thought, okay, so there, there are causes for sin that are not just because I'm this malicious person, right? That there's, there's traumas and woundings that need, need to be healed. But, you know, women are such powerful, um, you know, just, they're so powerful. The feminine gene is so powerful. How, oh, what uh, uh, healed women, how can that really steward healing for the church? It changes the world. It literally changes the world. And again, using Sister Miriam and Nicole uh, from our yeah. team as, as evidence of that. Uh, but 
just in a very particular way, if you think about women as mothers. Yep. And where there's healing, there's a place of trust and rest in the spirit. Mm. Right? And think about children. Again, big children or little children. But children, as they come around a woman where her heart is receptive and able to love and be in communion, and their heart can rest. A child's heart can rest. Mm. A husband's heart can rest and and receive nurture and receive love. And again, there's no woman that does this perfectly, but the more that a woman who's entered into a healing process, the more that just emanates from her presence. Right. Uh, and that in itself could change the world. Just uh, mothers and, and wives and religious who just emanate the love of Mary, yeah, uh, and and every woman, you know, not just those. Just think about how much an encounter of any kind with Blessed Mother, with Mary, heals yeah. us. Yeah, so true. And, so, so true. And, and every woman's called to grow in that reality. Yeah, to be to that be filled filled with the Spirit in that way. Yeah, your your earlier story reminded me of. Uh, again, an experience I had where I was with this, I was at a charismatic healing something. I don't remember what it was. And I thought I was with this. They were an older couple. I thought I was with them for like 20 minutes of prayer and healing. I was with them for three hours. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and that was an appear in my life, Bob, where like, I, I couldn't cry, you know, like now I cry all the time. But like at that point. That's a gift. It was, it was. Uh, such a gift. And I just, I looked at the clock and thought, these people talk about spiritual parenthood, maternity, paternity. I mean, they were with me for three hours. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's the church. So beautiful. And that's the church being the church. That's the church being the church at its best. It's true, true best. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna tell you one of the most gratifying things uh, at Endow, and this, and this is a testimonial from a specific woman that I'm thinking of who said that an Endow group was the most healing experience of her life. And again, we're not a healing ministry per se, right. but of course, it is. He, it fruits yeah. affects our healing, and there are some studies, of course, that are more disposed to that healing in terms, like our study on the Rosary or John yeah. Paul II's um, on the Christian meaning of suffering. Those, of course, bring up a lot of um, opportunities um, for connection and for study and for healing that are more disposed to that. But I thought it's interesting because any anywhere where Christ happens is healing, of course, as we were talking mm-hmm. about, but of course at Endow, it's like we're looking at a text. And so there's a healing, you could say, of ignorance, right? Uh, the truth will set you free. Like knowing mm-hmm. the truth itself is a healing experience. Because mm-hmm. for truth, but then also that it's it's a, it's a truth received in in the context of sisterhood. Yeah, you know, and yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's a good illustration of sister the sister identity and how much that heals. Truly, and 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 just joyfulness in a, in a culture uh-huh. that's just not very joyful uh, uh-huh. these days. But um, yeah, yeah and, and to be with each other. Growing in in truth, growing in holiness, growing in love—that that is a healing community. 
Yeah. With, with that, like just enough level of discomfort that one needs to heal. Right. Yeah, like yeah. certain <laughs> truths that you don't want to embrace or just the emotional discomfort or intellectual discomfort of that vulnerability, but, but that's necessary uh, to be transformed. But um, yeah, I just thought I, I, I was yeah, like, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Very moving. Yeah. And, you know, I, I experienced the same reading the theology of the body. It's just mm -hmm. being healed, reading it, studying it, uh, because it's wow. taking everything that the culture has distorted and putting it in the right, right order and truth. And as you said, truth heals, truth sets us free. Yeah. Is is the, is the theology of the body why you named the healing center after John Paul II? Or like, what was the, what's the that, story? That was the immediate uh, reason we were originally the theology of the body healing and training center and right, uh, okay. but i i was introduced to his writings before that and every one of them you know the, the, the splendor of the truth was the first one that i was exposed to and oh, i uh, want to, i want an endowed study on that maybe i shouldn't say that on record but that would yeah be <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's an incredible encyclical and that that really as a i was a professor, a college professor, adjunct professor at the time, and it was like just lamenting at where the university system was then, and now it's just even so much worse, not everywhere, but most places. Yeah. And seeing all the falsehood that was being taught, I couldn't even teach from the textbook because of of right. what was being taught. And, uh, and to, to read his description of the splendor of the truth. And it's like, wow, this is just beautiful. This is awesome. And then letters to families yeah, and all that. And, and that was my field, marriage and family therapist. And so right. that was all that just brought my heart alive. Oh, it's so neat. I, I was going to ask you about church documents since that's what we do, but I just, that fair talk to splendor. This yeah. one is a really great one. Yeah. Um, there, there's not one of his I've read that isn't, um, transformative so. <laughs> like who is john paul ii do you ever like i'm always asking like who are you yeah, yeah. Are you, amazing man? amazing it's, like, yeah. it's not you're not a real person i mean it's, <laughs> yeah so just having as a saint <laughs> as you say, i mean it has to be a saint i mean it's like who are you that's what i'm yeah. always kind of asking yeah. uh how, how did that happen how did you happen i mean grace right short answer but yeah yeah. You know, even just one of the fruits of his life would be enough for a one person, and I just can't wrap my mind around. Well, you you think about the combination of the loving family that he grew up in, and the broke the 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 deaths, and the the wars, and all the suffering that he went through. I think between the two of those and his deep faith, it became a crucible for the person he became. Yeah, slap some Marian spirituality in there. Yeah, absolutely, the critical. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So Bob, I'm going to ask you, and I, um, you know, want to hear just any kind of final thoughts and about what, you know, women as a church and endow women in particular, what, how would you encourage them? We've mentioned resources that they can tap into, but before that, you know, what, um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What's like, I mean, there's a, little, a lot of fruitfulness to your life and a little joy that you bring people, but you know, there's always that like a one or two things where you're like, ah, oh, this is why I'm alive. My personal vocation, like in a nutshell or, or in, in a specific way, not just, you know, I'm a healer, but, but the no, nothing brings me more joy than experiencing 
transformation, people's experience of 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 healing and transformation. I just uh, I'll give you one short example from our last conference. One of the evaluations, a, a woman wrote. We were, she was in the conference, and it was an opportunity to pray with others. And she said, "I was so angry that I had people around me that wanted me to pray with them oh, because I suffer from social anxiety and mm-hmm. tremendous amount of anxiety." And she said, "So I I knew I had freedom. So I asked the Lord, and He said, go." And he, she said, "I went and prayed, and she said I received such a powerful healing that I'm free." of what I've struggled with my whole life. Wow. Uh, and to hear stories like that, of knowing that somebody, life has been so limited. There was another young man years ago that had dropped out of school and had nine different really serious diagnoses, came to a conference, received healing, was able to go back to school, engage in life, get off the medications that he was on. I mean, it was just like seeing people's shifting like that uh, yeah. Sometimes it's very gradual, but sometimes it's just remarkably miraculous in, in the way that God does it. Brings indescribable joy. Indescri- yeah. Uh, the, other, the other thing that brings joy is just being in relationship with people and uh, people who love, people who love God, people who love each other, and just to be able to experience that, that's just joy also. Wow, thanks for sharing that. I didn't, I didn't, we, I mean, we didn't really do any prep work, but I just thought maybe that's too personal a question. But no, I, that's not. That's a great question. But, you know, when we talk about resources, I just came to mind we were talking about identity as daughter, and I didn't share it. As um, we just started a publishing company called Heart of the Holy Family, mm-hmm. and my daughter Carrie, who's the one that leads that, uh, wrote a book uh, called Beloved Daughter, mm-hmm. and it's for children. Uh, but it's for children of all ages, but particularly for young children. And it's taking the scripture passages about our identity, uh, the, the identity of a woman. Oh, beautiful. And and the beautiful artist's work. Uh, and, and it's just, I, I think, going to be a great resource for a woman of your uh, endow. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Bob. Appreciate it. Well, any last words of encouragement to women out there and endow women? Those are some amazing resources, and I could talk to you forever, of course. Yeah, I, I love what you're doing at Endow and the gathering of women. As I said, you, and I don't mean this as hyperbole, you're changing the world because as you form all your women who are involved, as you form in this way, you become the conduit of the Marian heart that the world is just so desperately in need of. And uh, it's it's that that's going to transform the world. I really sincerely believe that. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you so much for uh, for everything that you are and do and, and for being on the Endow Podcast. Thank you, Simone. God bless you. Thank you. If this episode was helpful for you, please consider sharing it with a friend or two. We would also appreciate it so much if you left a rating and review so that more women can discover Endow and our mission to help women cultivate their unique feminine genius. Please also check out the link below to learn how to become a monthly donor to help defray podcast production costs. And of course, if you'd like to talk to me about joining or starting your own Endow group, please email me at simone.riscala at endowgroups.org. 
And remember, you are the heart of Endow.